Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. You're talking about taking art skills to the next level. A coach can definitely help you with that. I've been teaching archery for over 25 years. I'm offering a free 50-minute consultation call. Anybody that would like one, please fill out the form. I'll leave a link in the description so we can get to know you a little better and see if I can help you in your archery skills. And today we're going to talk to an archer that has kind of taken archery to the next level. And uh, we want to see what he's going, doing. And hi, my name is Roy Canterbury, and I'm going to be your host today on Arch Talk 101. And our guest is going to be Ace Coleman. He's been an archer for a while and uh, kind of taking it to the next level. So welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how you uh, got started in archery. So um, when I first started, I, I had some friends that were in this like local club and I was in high school and um, I just kind of came out and uh, checked out what they were doing and they had an S30A team. So um, I just kind of got started that way. And um, like I, I had no experience at all so basically going in um i got some coaching and learned you know the basics and then i uh just kind of took it to the next level i went to a national tournament i saw like uh jace bulls and brady hempen um shooting um like in a shoot off and i thought wow i'd really like to do that so um and just kind of went from there so what age did you get started at uh like 16 15 years old 15 16 yeah it, it's it's a good sport to get into when you're young and what what are you doing now with uh with the sport so um i am shooting in the asa so that's my uh, main objective i um i shot in known 40 known 45 and known 50 and i won out of those classes so i'll be shooting in known pro this year and um i'm also going to shoot the nfaa circuit um at least um the indoor events and um the dakota classic this year and we'll see about reading and um outdoor or the uh, mechanicsburg event so so where where do you live then i live in northwest tennessee oh so, northwest tennessee yeah just a rural part of part of the country um you know, lots of soybeans and corn. So, a little bit nicer weather to shoot outside during the winter time than up here in Nebraska. Yeah, um, we complain about it being, you know, thirty-five degrees. So, <laughs> yeah, we had a cold spell um, not too long ago where it was like five degrees, and we had a lot of pipes burst up here. So we're not used to that. Yeah, you're not used to having them insulated, so they they survive those cold weathers. And yeah, exactly. you know, in the winter time when it gets up to 35, 40, we're in our t-shirts. <laughs> 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 you know, we'll go on a t-shirt, just a long sleeve shirt, you know, when it's 40. We don't spend a lot of time out there because we know better, but um, you know, just a quick trip out there and you know, it makes it uh, kind of nice to uh, 
um, you know, when it warms up, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you just got to deal with, you know, the weather you have. And Definitely. So be, besides uh, target shooting 3D and, and then you shoot the regular targets, uh, do you hunt or anything too or with archery? Yeah. So like um, growing up, I never really hunted, but um, like I, I got into target archery first and then that's kind of what grew my hunting. Um, I, I just hunt like some private mainly. Um, I've got an uncle that's got a nice um, piece of farmland that I go out to and um, he has some paths that he cuts through the woods and uh, we just kind of make sure that the doe population stays down. So I do that, but I, that's pretty much as far as I am doing it now. And that's mostly just deer you hunt for with a bow then? Yes, exactly. I, I love bow hunting, so it's it's awesome. Now, you use a recurve or longbow or compound or crossbow? Which one are you using? Most I'm just using a, um, a compound right now. Compound. I've got the, uh, the Venom Pro from last year, so... Yeah, compounds are, are nice. They they don't have quite as long a learning curve, you know, as the recurves and longbows. Um, you know, the shortest recurve is, of course, crossbow, but I don't think there's too many archery events for crossbows. You know, I feel like like the crossbow community, like that's probably the smartest, most efficient way to hunt, if you ask me. Like it's it's cost effective. Like if you're, you know, just getting into it. Um, using a crossbow is it's accurate it's easy to set up and it's relatively cheap so but yeah yeah you know for somebody that wants to get into archery that's that's the first step you know especially like for the younger uh, kids you know they that are starting out they can't really draw enough weight for a compound or a recurve or a longbow uh, to you know legally hunt a lot of states you need to be 40 pounds you know, at 20 inch draw length. And if you're not drawing that, then you can't use it. And, you know, the crossbow gets them out in the archery field and, uh, you know, really nice that way, you know, and then grow into something else and then, you know, more challenging on the compounds and then more challenging going to recurves and, you know, then go into longbows. Oh, definitely. So are you, you kind of heading towards, you know, maybe shooting Olympics? Is that kind of a goal for you? Well, um, I shoot compound and yeah, they, they are actually adding compound in the, um, the 28, 28 LA Olympics. But, um, at this time, I'm not really like interested in that discipline that much. I'm very much interested in like indoor and, um, 3d especially. So like there is a trend I've noticed across the industry like a lot of people they'll just kind of stick to their niche there are some guys that kind of go out and do like everything but um like as of right now my my niche is like indoor and 3d so so you were saying um you shoot a lot of the marked indoor 3d tournaments then i don't we we have nothing like that in my area oh okay some buddies that have have tons of indoor 3D shoots, but we've just got basically paper around us. Yeah, the, those those are nice too. I, I remember my first uh, outdoor shoot, you know, I had a quarter full arrows and 
I'm hoping I can get through all 40 targets and still have arrows left. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've all been there. And then and then as you get a little bit better, then it's like, ah, oh, okay, I made it through. I didn't lose any arrows. And then it's like, okay, let me see if I can go through shooting the same arrow on all of them, you know. You know, just pick the same one. And you know, when you're shooting aluminums, that you have to constantly test them because they bend on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, that's what's nice about the new carbon arrows, is you know, they're basically straight or broke. And there's, I've got this, guy, got this guy that runs my local archery shop. His name is Bill, Bill Herney, and um, he runs a shop called Bill's Archery. And um, he was telling me this story of drawing like 85 pounds back in the day for these 3D tournaments, shooting these aluminum arrows. And like he would carry like four dozen aluminum arrows with him because they would always bend. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, it's a lot different now. Um, carbon arrows are really, um, awesome. They, they just bend back straight every time. So. Yeah, I know. I, I started out in the sixties before you had aluminum arrows, it's wood arrows and either longbow or recurve. That was your options. And it wasn't until the seventies when the first compound started coming out. And then I, I started shooting compound and then, um, you know, I still have my re- a recurve. Uh, I actually still have my first, very first recurve, and then I have another one that I set up for bow fishing. You know, it's I I shoot them differently. You know, when you pick up one one bow, you shoot it one way. You pick up a different style bow, you shoot it differently. And you know, I just uh, you know with the recurve, it's all instinctive. Look at the target, draw back, and shoot. You know, I yeah. don't use you know the the string walking or using the tip as a reference and. You know, there I'm putting sights on it, and I just, you know, completely do that. And when you're bow fishing, you know, you don't have time to find a sight. You just got to yeah. drop and shoot. Yeah, exactly. You got to. The biggest thing with that is, you know, aim low. That's right. the biggest thing for me. So, do you do any bow fishing then? Um. Yeah, we have a um a local. Like I said, I joined a S30A team when I first started. And that's out of um, Covenant Ranch here in Paris, Tennessee. And um, it's like an outdoor ministry. Um, We basically bring in kids who are um, inclined to hunting and we have a bow fishing camp. So um, we're actually just just outside of Land Between the Lakes in um, like Paris Landing area in Tennessee. So we've got this huge... um, public land for hunting and um just a huge network for bow fishing and and actual fishing tournaments and um just recreational fishing so but yeah i don't i don't do a lot of it now but um when i was younger i used to for sure i'm, I'm in college right now so i kind of i kind of have a full plate you know bow fishing's <laughs> like dessert <laughs> yeah so if they wanted to get a hold of you you know, if they're in the Tennessee area and want to get a hold of you to get their kids in that program, how would they get a hold of you? Um, Facebook and Instagram are the best places to go. Um, on Facebook, just look for Ace Coleman. And on Instagram, look for the Ace Coleman. And you'll find um, you'll find me. Just shoot me a message. I'm very active on social media. So I try to get back with everyone that has questions. And um yeah, it's called Covenant Ranch or um, Sunrise Adventures, and um, they have a Facebook page as well and a website that you can go check out. Um, they've got different types of camps. Um, 
And the whole idea is we're just trying to make people um, look look for Christ through the outdoors. So that sounds like a, a really good goal to you know get kids involved in that and get them out doing something besides the thumb exercises, playing video games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I used to be that guy. You have to understand, like I, I didn't grow up hunting. I, I grew up playing video games and um i was just absorbed by that and um i had a bunch of friends that were like you know into hunting and stuff like that and i just kind of like got drawn into that and now i love it you know it's just it's more fulfilling to me so yeah it, there's you know you, you look at people that are sitting there playing archery games on the video game and it's like <laughs> get a real bow and shoot a real bow and yeah it's completely different whole different uh, technique and it requires a lot more um you know attention to what you're doing yeah so what what is uh, your most memorable shoot you went to okay well when you asked that question it was my first shoot ever okay so um it was april 1st uh 2017 um first 3d tournament ever probably been shooting for like a couple months or so and um the reason it's so memorable is because of something i did i i shot an arrow and i hadn't i did not have a great foundation at this point i was still learning a lot probably had target panic and was punching the release and flinching a lot but um i i had this shot where i shot the black buck um asa delta mckenzie target and its head was faced like this way and i shot it right in the nostril i'm talking like perfect inside out of the nostril. i took a picture of it and um yeah i shot like a hundred out of 200 so i dropped a hundred points from even so it's like basically half half fives so i hit the body on at least half of them and then i guess the other half was about eight or a ten or so but yeah humble beginnings <laughs> well we all have to start there you know and um, now what what's the best shoot you've been to where you've done the best score well best score um well it depends on the distance um let's see here they were comparable to your first shoot oh it's completely different <laughs> um completely different um yeah i think my best score I'm, i've shot like some 45 ranges i've shot 32 up which is a 232 in in asa that's that's um only missing uh, like four i think that's right four 12s out of the entire range and um i've shot like a, a 34 up and i think i've shot a 36 but I, I might be stretching it there, but I know I've shot a 34 up once. I went to a tournament once and it was really dark and um, we had this like Havelina target and it was like <laughs> the first target, it was like up in the woods, um, like up in this hill. And I, I just drew back and I could, I couldn't even see like the rings. I just kind of put the pin where I thought it should be and added 12. And then I just kind of, almost hit every single 12 in that range that day it was a it was a hard course it was a lot of up and down it was over in um 
South South Carolina, I think. Um, I, I go over there. I used to go over there a lot. They have um, something called the Baker Archery Circuit, and it's like this guy named Jason Baker. He's he's hosting these um, big money 3D shoots. Um, so when I was an amateur, I really wanted to up my game and um, learn how to just say, okay, we're going to invest invest the entry fee, invest the gas, and we're going to learn something. So, um, yeah, I think that kind of helped me a lot. But, yeah. So, to answer your question, 32 and 34 up on a um, 20 target range. Okay. Now, some of our listeners may not know what that is. Can you explain it? Yes. Okay. So, um, in the ASA, we shoot um, – 20 targets in one round and in a pro-am a national event you'll shoot two days of that so even is a 200 that's shooting you know the 10 ring 20 times and when you shoot up you're shooting um, some of the bonus rings so like two up is you're hitting one 12 ring and the rest tens basically and then if you shoot down you're shooting um, less than all tens. So if you shoot an eight, that's minus two. If you shoot a five, that's minus five points. And um, like, so the highest you can possibly shoot is 40 up, which is almost almost impossible. I'm sure it's gonna happen in my lifetime, but um, it's basically hitting all 12s. So all, all of these circles. And on the, let me see here, I might be able to pull up a, Nah, we'll, we'll just talk about it. But um, yeah, yeah, those yeah. those twelve range are like a, a one inch diameter circle, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, and you've got one that's the upper twelve, and one that's a lower, and you've got one in the center. And and in ASA, we don't count that. But um, yeah, so like thirty two up, that's um almost forty, but not quite. But it's it's very hard to beat hitting almost every every twelve ring for sure. Especially when you started shooting at a, a, a dark target like a Havelina, you know, those are pretty much all black targets with a little bit of white, you know, around, you know, the shoulder area. And yeah, if it's completely dark, you're relying on those specs and you got to gotta make sure you're looking at the right specs. I've made the, mis the mistake once where I thought I was looking at the right, you know, little tick marks on the animal and I hit right where I needed to hit my mind. But I looked at it with my binoculars and I was like, wow, I just shot a an eight or a five, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, and those are small animals, so there's not a very big ring on them. Yeah. Yeah. For people that are shooting, um, like their shooting level isn't as high, or if they're shooting like um, bare bow or recurve, like, yeah, that's going to definitely play a huge factor in that. I know I remember one time I was, I was looking at a, a, a hog. It was back in the shadows and all i could see was a shadow outline of the whole log and uh, you bring up your binoculars and you look at it and it, you know the, the importance of good optics is i had some tasco 10 by 50s and, and i'm sitting there trying to adjust them trying to see what it's at and, and one of the guys that was in there he had i think it was uh, a leica or or one of those you know high-end ones and sure. they're technically they're like a seven by 35 it pulled up looked oh okay you know, where, where the, the cheaper binoculars, I couldn't really, I'm trying to focus in, you know, close one eye, get it, do the other one to get it focused in at the distance. And, you know, that's the difference between having good optics and, and the cheap stuff. 
You know, yeah, like, for sure. I've I've had that experience where I got a a pair of like um Vortex Diamondbacks and they were 12 by 50. And I looked through them and it looked like I had like water spots on them. I cleaned them and made sure they were clean. But then I got um they're like better pair like the viper hds and um i got a 10 by 50 so i lowered the power the magnification but um they were like twice the price as the other one and um like i could actually see much clearly much more clear um through the 10 by 50 i always thought that oh i need very magnified binoculars and you just said you looked through a pair of binoculars that were only a seven power so like that just goes to show that you you need to just get a high quality pair of binoculars and not just a high power pair. Yeah, and I found you know binoculars the higher the power, the harder it is to hold it steady. So not not only are you having a blurrier because you got the cheap pair, but now you're moving around, so it's hard to focus on it because you're moving a little bit of movement in a twelve power is exaggerating quite a bit. And, you know, yeah. when you get the seven power or, or even a 10 power, you go to the 12 power and, you know, you almost have to support them somehow. And, you know, there's ways of doing that where you take your elbows in and hold them and you can hold them up better. If you have your elbows up, you bounce a lot more. But, you know, there's a few techniques you can use for stabilizing them. But, you know, quality optics is number one. Yeah, for So what are, what are your plans? you know, in the future. Okay. Well, um, I definitely want to be a, um, a high performing archer in the NFAA and the ASA circuit. So, um, you know, I want to do well at, um, like the Vegas shoot, all these indoor shoots like Lancaster and the Rushmore rumble. Um, and then all of the ASA pro-ams, you know, you've got the Foley one, um, Russell County, um, the Louisiana one, uh, at Camp Minden. Then the last three is um, London, Kentucky, Metropolis, Illinois, and Holman, Alabama. And that's the ASA Classic. So that's something I'm working on now. Um, I am finishing my um, four years of my college degree. Um, I'm doing a um, my bachelor's in business management with an accounting emphasis. So um I'm, I go to school here in uh, McKenzie, Tennessee. That's just 20 miles from my hometown in Paris. And um, yeah, I go to Bethel University. So I'm going to finish that this semester, actually. I'm going to graduate in May. And um, I actually work at a bank right now. I'm, a, I'm part of the IT department. And um, I also help with like, you know, relieving receptionists for lunch. And um, I do some accounting things where I'm like reconciling. Um, bank accounts and making sure I'm creating reports, you know, just analyzing financials there. But um, yeah, so after after college, um, I am going to probably continue working there. And I'm actually starting a online course business um, where I can actually help archers learn easily and affordably how to get into the sport of tournament archery. So that's that's something I'm really working on now. I'm putting a lot of time into that aside from, you know, college work and my uh, shooting schedule. Yeah, I've, I've put together an online coaching program 
that I'm doing online where you, you do it uh, uh, through Zoom calls, you know, kind of like we're recording this. And yes. also have some videos for it to look at and and then get in the group and, you know, critique them there and then get on a live call and, and just take them to the next level. And, you know, it, it actually works pretty good when I think about putting it together. Um, my first student was in, uh, you know, over Messenger and didn't even live in the same country. And then the first one I, I tested out for, you know, a Zoom call didn't live in the, in the United States either. So it, it's nice that you can help archers all over the world. And you can connect just with a, you know, a Zoom call and you can, you know, critique them. And, you know, nice thing about videos now is you can play them back and watch them. And the quality of the videos taken on your phones are just so good that, you know, you can pause them and look at different things and slow motion them. And, you know, when I first become an arch instructor in 95, you know, where there's this teaching the back tension release. And so I had to learn a new technique and, um, you know, there was pretty much uh, you either watch them live or possibly on a VCR tape, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and and the quality of, of the recording, you know, wasn't the best. And, you know, you just couldn't see it as well. And, so, you know, so I did a lot of my teaching just being, you know, watching what they're doing and, you know, shoot. And I'd watch one part of it and then go back and then they'd shoot again and watch another part of it. And, you know, I think now is it's going to be you know, it's so much easier because like you can stop and watch the whole process, you know, watch it multiple times. And this makes it a lot easier to do something like that. Oh, definitely. Um, repetition is the key to learning. So being able to um, constantly go back and look at things is, is critical. Now, what would you say is your uh, biggest struggle in starting out and you know, developing your, your skills to, to where you're at now. Knowledge. Um, it can be financial, um, getting the, and knowing what equipment to get. Um, and I'd say networking, um, making sure you are getting around the right people that can help you, um, you know, excel at what you're doing. And um, like a lot of people, they don't have a place to practice. I know that's a very big thing. So um, being able to network and um, find a way to have a, a place to practice consistently, like if you're shooting indoors or if you're uh, like for indoor archery or, you know, like if you live in a city, having a local archery club, to, you know, go sight your bow in for hunting. But um yeah, I would say knowledge is is the biggest thing, having the right knowledge and um, being able to create systems for what you do. So like you can go um, and never see an archery coach and learn everything on YouTube, but it, it's kind of jumbled up and you're going to get a lot of different opinions. You're going to have some people say bear shaft tuning or uh, this is how you paper tune. You shoot your you shoot your uh, bear shaft through paper, and some guys will be like, "Oh no, you shoot it shoot it down at the target and see if it's kicked or whatever." And then some guys are like, "No, you look at the impact." And then you know all this stuff, and it's important to know how to weed weed through the the weeds and um, have a clear system to what you're doing. Yeah, that that's where it's important to get with a a live person, you know, to critique what you're doing and 
you know, there's a lot of really good videos out there uh, that, that teach stuff, not going to say the right way, but teach the same way I teach. But there's a lot of stuff that's completely different. You know, it's like, uh, dude, that don't work. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's not the most efficient way to do it. And and there's you always open to different stuff, you know, as I see different techniques and stuff. You know, I will look at it and, and see. And, you know, I've tried different things. I know when I first started learning uh, back tension release, you know, I'm thinking, well, if you don't pull a trigger, how do you know where it's going to go? <laughs> it was like, I'm, I'm thinking, it's like, well, you got to pull a trigger, you know, coming from firearm world, you know, you, you squeeze a trigger when you're ready to go, you know, you, you squeeze well through. And then once I learned it, it's like, ah, uh, okay. Because the whole goal in archery is store energy and an aim. That's all you do. You know, once you've stored the energy, that part of the job is done. Now you just have to aim and then just work on, you know, the back tension release on it. And, you know, I see a lot of people they'll go to, you know, uh, from the wrist strap where they have their fingers above it and just slamming on the trigger. Yes. And then they go to the thumb release because it's supposed to be better. And now then they have the thumb and they go slamming on the, the thumb yes. trigger. Oh, yes. It, it's... And you know, I've seen some some uh, TV hosts do that as well. You know, they draw back and and not only draw too much weight, they're drawing incorrectly. They kind of draw it across your chest, push your chest out, and draw and come yeah. up. It's like um, you're using your weak muscles to draw. Use the back muscles; it's much easier. <laughs> yeah, and it's just you, you don't know, and that's the part that you know you, you see all these videos. It's like. Oh, they're doing it. So I should pull across my chest and then raise it up. I'm like, no. <laughs> that was a huge problem. Like I went to a league uh last Friday and um they had uh, they had some guys that were shooting like a bow hunter setup. And um like some of these guys, I'm not gonna say any names obviously, but like there's always gonna be this one guy at the archer shop that's got the brand new, brand new bow brand new bars, brand new equipment, got a thumb release, and then and he's like, bam, or bam, you know. Just, yeah, just slamming on the trigger. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, like if I was to recommend someone, and you've, you've only got, let's say, 300 bucks to get into archery, okay, and your, your goal is to, um, you know, shoot tournaments, I guess, you know, you're probably going to start off with like a normal compound setup or something like that. If you were shooting a compound, I would say spend a hundred bucks on everything you need except for the release and then go and buy a, a legit release, like a good thumb button. That's probably going to cost you 200 bucks. Or I wouldn't necessarily recommend a hinge to begin because the reason why, um, is your dexterity in your fingers. A lot of people are going to have a really hard time holding it. And um, if you can learn how to build that dexterity in, in your fingers, um, shooting a hinge will be a lot easier uh, once you've got like a year under your belt with a thumb button. But um, yeah, and just learning how to actually shoot a controlled and surprise release with any release. You know, one like I'll tell you my experience with that. I went to a national uh, tournament once and I was shooting a wrist strap and I had like like some, you know, Scott wrist strap where you 
you put your finger on it, you can feel a lot of movement, and then boom, it goes off. And I didn't really know back tension that much. I just kind of drew back and, you know, moved my finger. And um, like a lot of people, they'll start off and the trigger will be here because the neck is so long. Right, so, right at the tip of the finger. Yeah, and then the, they'll have that instinct from shooting a gun because with a gun, you can't see punching unless the safety's on. And if you've got a shotgun and you're punching with shotgun, you're like, whoa, you know, you'll do that. But um, so like I started off like that and then um, someone told me you need to put it really deep so you can grab and pull with your back. And the problem with that is no matter how deep it is, if you pull with your back, your back is a big muscle. It's not going to move all this that much. I, I really teach people to to like use their back to draw the bow a little bit and then to hold the weight of the bow. You know, we've got this thing called the national training system, you know, and um, that's that's what they teach in like USA archery coaching classes. And um, really the back, you're supposed to transfer the weight to achieve what we call holding so you can, um, you know, relax these muscles to do the work. But the thing is with the trigger, you've got to actually, in my opinion, you got to move the trigger a little bit. So um, that causes a lot of people, people that causes a lot of issues with people. Um, but then your natural instinct, like you said, with a thumb button is to just do the same thing just to go ahead and punch it yeah that's where i take on the wrist strap as i put it back not the tip of the first joint but the second joint and let your hand curl around it and then you're going to put a little slight pressure on it without pressure you're not going to go up but a little slight pressure and then the process of of squeezing those shoulder blades together it will go off but you got to learn to not move that finger you know once you put pressure on it you know, you, you relax on it and then a little pressure, start pulling a little pressure and then sure. it, it will go off. You know, I I, I shoot a wrist strap as well as a, a, a thumb release one. And the only thing that changes where my hand hits my face, you know, as opposed to the, the you know, the, the first knuckle or, or, you know, the third knuckle, depending on where I put that in there. This is all the same. But what I did on, on my hand releases is the trigger normally got that big knob on it that you kind of mm -hmm. put, you know, your, you know, the second joint on your thumb. I have it buried completely into my hand where the thumb and the index finger meet and it's just the, the trigger. There's no knob on it. So now there's no knob to get in the way and I pull back and then that fires it. You know, if I need to, you know, hunting and I'm in a position where I can't really get the back tension, I can force it by just making a fist. Just make a fist that will go off. But, you know, that's what I hunt with most of the time is that handheld release. You know, go back and you go through the whole process, same thing as you do it. And, um, you know, you can cram on the triggers if you want to do, but I don't because I've got the technique down where I do it that way. And, um, you know, the, the hinge, you know, it's nice, but you got to really make sure you turn on it, you know. Uh, you know, it, it's safety and drawn, you know, with the, the wrist strap, you just put your finger behind the trigger. You can't accidentally pull it. You're not going to smack yourself in the mouth, which happens. It does. <laughs> it ha it <laughs> happens. <laughs> and and then with the, the handheld one, you got to make sure your hand is off of it because if you put your finger on the trigger, 
and you're pulling, you can easily pull that trigger. You know, just you know, you start pulling, and then with the hands, you got to really make sure you have that that little finger pointing forward, keep that hinge from breaking until you get there, and then start pulling through. But yeah, yeah, well, that's why I don't recommend the the handheld ones for beginners, just because the technique that's required. Start off with a good quality one, you know, like a, a Scott or um, something like that. You know, I I have a Scott that I bought in the '90s. Uh, that was used one of the the guys i know was in you know a rep for him and i bought it and i still have it that's my backup release you know that i carry with me or it's really cold here in nebraska it's cold enough that you could easily have the handheld which locks oh, under the loop man. and it could easily be you know zero degrees and you have to be able to feel that trigger so now you're putting something that's basically frozen into your hand so when it gets that cold i go back to caliper (laughs) yeah well to add to that um like if i was starting out completely um and this kind of links into um, something i'll talk about but um i would get a wrist strap a higher end one that has um, trigger travel and trigger adjustment screws so if that's not in your budget then that's okay but what causes the issue of punching, in my opinion, that that's hurt me the most is where with the wrist strap, you have to physically move like the trigger has some wiggle before it actually rolls off. If it's one of those roller like sear ones like the um, like the Scott long, I don't know what it's called, the Scott, like the Scott Shark, for example. Right. I have that little dual caliper and then there's a single caliper one and um like the only way to get that to work those releases is if you in my opinion like you said you have to get it really deep and kind of just hook this and then pull and kind of kind of move it with your back to um move that trigger and then with you putting the barrel really deep in your hand you can't really feel if it has a lot of travel where it's moving the trigger is moving right. you can't really feel that that much when it's really deep but if you have a wrist strap or th- or thumb button that has the trigger travel adjustment you can get it to where when you apply pressure the trigger doesn't move so when the trigger doesn't move and you apply pressure to it with your back for example it's going to stay in the same spot and it just takes a buildup of pressure to make it go off and then you can right. really fine tune how light you want to rest your finger on it to to do that technique. So when you have a trigger that moves and you're you're pulling really hard with your back, if your finger gets relaxed, the trigger it might move a little bit, but it's not going to move that much. That's why right. you have to wrap it so deep. But if you want to have it to where you're relaxed, because you want to shoot a bow as lazy as possible, in my opinion. Um, right. You want to if you want to do that, you, you, um, you just have to put your finger on the trigger, have it, um, stretched out the way you'd like, and then just slowly add some pressure to it until the shot breaks. Yeah. I know whenever I, I shoot a release that has travel in it, it, as soon as it's, I feel it starting to move. Yes. Then, then I start thinking about the trigger and I quit. Aiming. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why, wow. you know, the, the uh, release I have is it's it's got just a single pin that sticks out and you don't feel the travel on it. You know, it's a you know good quality Scott. 
and I shoot the Carter chocolate addiction and I have a really, really hard spring. I put the hardest yes. spring in it as you can put in there because I, I don't want it to do any movement. I don't, I want to be able to have to put pressure on it. My son has one that has a softer trigger. I can't yes. shoot it because as soon as I put pressure on it, it's like, <sighs> goes off too quick. I want to have a hard trigger and, and basically no movement. The whole movement from not fired to completely fired is just such a small amount, you know, maybe like a 16th of an inch, you know, that you can make it move. You know, it's very small travel. And, uh, you know, my, my, my Scott has, has the adjustment for the trigger, you know, how much travel you have on it and how much it takes to make it go off. And, you know, you can do, adjust the pressure in them. And, you, you know, like you said, you know, you want a hard trigger that doesn't move to fire it. You got to put pressure on it. You know, any movement is that way. I know when I had my store, the true fire guys, you know, wanted me to, you know, carry their line of, of releases and, the best guy told if Walmart carries it, I won't carry it. Because oh. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't want to compete against Walmart. <laughs> yes. Know? And, you know, that's what I did on most of my stuff. If Walmart carries it, I can't beat their price. So I'll carry the higher end or better stuff. So they had a handheld that they they sent me to try out. And it has more travel. Oh, yeah. Um, exactly. And, and it, it just... Yeah. It's not near as good, but it's half the price. You know, at that time it was like a sixty or seventy dollar release. Yeah. Where the one I was shooting, you know, wholesale was like one hundred and twenty five bucks. You know, so that was like a two hundred dollar release, one hundred fifty to two hundred dollar release. You know, it's half the price. So if you want to get into it, you know, like you were saying, you know, like spend the money on, you know, on the release because that's the part that's going to make you shoot good. You know, because the other bow is it doesn't matter. You know, the low end bow, high end bow, it's going to shoot the same, which is how do you shoot it? You know, it's all amongst, you know, the archer is is when it's controlling it. Definitely. So as far as hunting releases goes, um, I love a wrist strap release because I don't like my hands freezing. <laughs> and the second thing is like, like I've shot a hinge once hunting and I, I was drawn back on this deer and um I held the bow for like a minute and a half with this hinge and my fingers were like cramping up and I'm like yeah. well if I do get the shot off it's not going to be good you know I've got, I've got all this tightness in my fingers you know that usually causes me to have some misses down range but um so I'm using the true ball execute wrist strap release it's it's an older model they have the execution um, it is, it is a great release. Um, it has a, like a, it's basically a thumb button put into a wrist strap. It has the same adjustments of trigger travel and trigger tension. You can adjust the neck length to where it's literally like just an inch away. So you can really grab into it. Like I, I put the trigger on this, this second knuckle, like right. where the joint is. And then I make sure my hand is nice and flat. And then I just anchor under my earlobe on the back of my jaw. And then um, just make sure I'm in my back. And then I pull against the release and shoot the bow. Basically, it's a surprise release. And I can really feel that uh, tension build up on the trigger. Um, with the trigger that moves, you can't really feel the build up. You just feel it moving. Right. So... But yeah, I would highly recommend look at look at releases like that. I know Stan uh, makes a good one. I know Carter um, does make 
like I think it's the like Mike, um, Michael Braden. Um, he's a pro archer that um, he he has a lot of educational content out there, and he really teaches to um, wrap and pull um, with your back on um, a wrist strap release. He actually uses that release for tournaments. So. Yeah, you can shoot them either way. It's just the technique is the same. It's just you know your hands are a little bit different position, and you know, nice thing about the wrist strap is is you know like for hunting is you can keep your hands in your pocket and get everything warm. Yes, um, you and you'll never thing, lose your release. It's attached to your wrist. Right, you're not going to drop it. <laughs> I, I have dropped drop the release. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I carry backups in my backpack. You know, I I've dropped my release. Like I'm not getting down. It's it's during hunting season. You know, during hunting time, and so I just grab one of my own out. Either I grab up my my backup one, the the um, um, true fire one, or I'll grab my uh, um, wrist strap and put them on. You know, so I I have those. You know, because I leave my release on the the string because mine it actually locks on it. Sure. You know, so I can leave it. And nice thing about that is when I get ready to draw draw on it, I just find the string and between my middle and ring finger, put the string, I can just slide down the string till I find my release. I don't have to look down it to hook up. You know, if you have like a caliper, you have to, you know, open the jaws up on some of them or close them and find the loop. Uh, we're sure. on on my wrist strap, it's just a hook that sticks out that just right. when you know flips open. So I can find the string and go down there and find the loop and then I can hook it on. I don't have to look at it. You know, that's nice. I don't want to look down at my string because when you look down at your string to hook up, you look back up, the deer will be looking at you. There's a little yeah. bit more movement because now you can you can watch the deer and then you can do what you need to do. Was, and if it starts looking, you stop. And then, you know, if you have to look down, you don't know what the deer is doing. You know, so. That's an excellent point. And with the true ball, um, wrist strap releases the higher end ones they're like 150 160 bucks um the execute the one i have it's got the a jaw that closes and when you press the cocking lever it'll actually close but the newer one is just a hook so you just cock it with your thumb hook it up and you're ready to go yeah that's i like those kind because then you don't have to worry about you know on those that just have the hook go over the push again the straight straight piece you know lots of times there's not a lot of uh, uh curve in there to hold the string you're, you're depending on the release to hold from the pressure of the two being together you know something like the jaws you know you're, you're using the jaws to pressure the jaws to hold it you know where the hooks there's actually a little curve in there that they hook into so it's easier to stay on you know that's what i've seen in some of them and then and then i've also seen where on some of the cheaper ones, especially the, the good quality ones, you don't as much, but the string actually hang up slightly on the hook as it's trying to open up the single hook ones. You'll actually hang up on it a little bit as, before it pops off because there is a little bit of curve in there. And, you know, I, I, so I was like, oh, you pull the trigger. It's still hanging on to it. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, that's what you're going to run into with cheap releases. And I, I remember one time I had, I had a, a release and I was down at the range shooting and I'm, I'm back, you know, at the 30 yard range, it's indoor one. We could, we could actually go back to 40 um, at, at times if there was nobody coming in, but we were back 30 yards shooting 
and I'm drawn back. And when I draw, I, I bend forward slightly and point my arm at the target and draw and slightly stand up. You know, it keeps you from overdrawing and bending back. So I draw back and I'm drawn back and I'm about halfway back or three quarters of the way back before it broke over. And all of a sudden, man, something went off. I didn't know what it was because my finger's behind the trigger. Well, I noticed there's no trigger. Oh. I had the release broke. Oh, man. And of course, now then with doing that, you're drawing back. My arm went up and I shot my arrow through a ductwork in the ceiling. And I found the head of my release about 20 yards downrange. And you'd never guess what the name on the release was. Scott. Nope. True far. True far. Nope. What? Nope. Fail safe. Uh, fail. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> and and I had two of them. So a machinist friend of mine, we looked at what's going on and you have the head and then they taper down with a little knob that holds them into things. So a pivot, it was so thin that that aluminum was not strong enough to shoot a 70 pound bow very much without weakening it. And I had two of them. The other one was even worse than this one, as far as, you know, how it worked. So he made me a new, new piece for it. So, you know, I could a little bit more beefy. Um, I, I think I might still have them both someplace in a box of parts, but I don't use them, you know, that that's what you get when you get the cheaper stuff. It is. And to touch on that, uh, like that true fire release, the thumb button that you had, um, you're not going to find, a, this is my opinion, as of 2023, you're not going to be able to find a quality thumb button in a Walmart nope. at, your, at your local Walmart. I mean, like when I say trigger travel, for the viewers to know, um, that is like from the moment you put your thumb on the trigger, where it's whether it's a thumb button or a wrist strap, it's does the trigger move at all before it goes off. And you sometimes newer people they have a, a high excitement level so when they put their finger on the trigger they don't really feel anything because they're so excited but right. if you calm yourself down you know take your release in your hand and just put your finger on the trigger you'll probably see a little movement before it rolls off that sear so basically avoid the the rule of this podcast is avoid cheap releases um and if you do get like a like a cheaper like wrist strap, like a Scott or a True Ball, they're they're high quality. Um, once you're getting to that like seventy dollar mark, and um, just see if you can get your finger to comfortably wrap around it, probably around that second joint. And if you can't, then I would advise probably go with um, something shorter. Now, now I know Scott has this one release. I don't know if they make it anymore. But it's it's like a short neck version of the long neck for the uh, wrist strap, and um, it's like pink. Okay, it's like the fox. Or <laughs> okay, if you're a man and you you don't want to shoot a pink release, I would advise go shoot that pink release. You might you might find that the length is just right. I don't know if the wrist would fit you, but if you were if you're stressed for money, I'd go with that. But if you want to spend a little bit of money. Um, getting into a like a wrist strap for hunting, definitely um, go around the like the hundred and 
twenty to hundred and sixty dollar mark with like a true ball or a stand or a Carter uh, wrist release that has trigger travel and trigger tension adjustment. Yeah, that that's so important to get. You know, the the release is the part that you're going to go spend. You know, if you're on a limited budget, you know, go to the pawn shop, buy a bow. Yeah, for but, real. And, I've done that. You know. <laughs> you know, if you've got $500 to spend, go to the pawn shop, spend 150 bucks with a bow, and then spend the rest on a release. You're going to be exactly. much better off. You, you'll have that release for, for years. You're right. Um, it's like all said, shot technique, too. Like, yeah. Like, you can have the coolest looking bow, but if you can't shoot a surprise shot or a, a shot where you're able to use your back, you're not able to use the technique properly then it doesn't matter it's like saying i'm going to give this new guy a i don't know five thousand dollar golf club and um tell him to go uh be tiger woods that's not really going to work you should give him like a you know fifty dollar golf club and you know if he had five let's just say he had five thousand dollars to spend i'd spend the rest of it on you know coaching and learning how to develop your skills and then, of course, entry fees and travel expenses right. if you want to go uh, to some golf courses. But, yeah. Yeah, I, I heard a little story. You know, a couple uh, lumberjacks were cutting down trees, and the one guy out cut him all the time, you know, cut down more trees. And, you know, he asked, what's going on? It's like, well, at lunchtime, I go sharpen my axe. You know, the first guy hit sharpened it before they started. By the time we got to the day, it was so dull he couldn't chop. The other guy, he's sharpened in the middle. You know, spend that time learning, learning the skills and, you know, getting the same thing, you know, when you're buying a new rifle. It's like, buy the most expensive uh, scope you can at, with on the cheapest gun. You know, if you don't have a big budget, spend mm -hmm. money on a scope because the scope is going to get you there. You know, if you can't see it, you can't hit it. And the same thing with archery. If you can't, have a good clean release it doesn't matter what you're shooting you know when i had my store i would um i i sold the, the low-end pse bow like the, the nova range and you could buy the nova from walmart and, and everything else as a pse dealer and uh, uh what i did differently that made it worthwhile to buy mine over you know like the walmart ones is one, I included a half dozen arrows with tips and I included hmm. some string silencers on it. Um, I also included a release. Now it was, you know, the, the low end release, you know, that at that time, you know, I got like 11 or $12 in a release. Um, you know, here's everything there. Plus you also got shooting instruction. Wow. And all that with that bow. And I actually had one guy one time says, you know, here's here's a price. He could he found it cheaper than what I was selling it for. And he says, you know, can you set it up for me? Well, I charge $40 to set up a bow. And I was charging $100 an hour for shooting instruction. And I says, you can set it up, but you're not going to get it done right. Well, you know, buying it for me. You know, because I'm going to charge you $40 to set it up because they didn't buy the bow from me. <laughs> yeah, right. and all my bows come with setup. You know, and instruction, you know, whether you're buying the low end $300 or $350 PSE Nova or the $1,000 um, PSE Proline bow, you still got shooting instruction. Right. And, you know, you know, my thought was, 
if you're buying a bow to start off with, are you going to stay with the sport? Yes, no, maybe, don't know. If you decide to get out of it, you got a $300 bow sitting in your closet or a $1,000 bow sitting in your closet. I couldn't justify selling them a $1,000 bow unless they knew this going to stay with it. And so they got it a little cheaper and, you know, like with stabilizers, you know, can you tell the difference? No, buy the cheaper one. You know, go with inexpensive, get in there. Well, two reasons. One, it got them into the inexpensively, but when they go into upgrade, where are they going to go to get their upgrades? Back to me, right? <laughs> so I'll yeah. sell them more stuff over the time. Um, you know, you'll have guys come in. It's like, you know, I had a um, a PhD come in and he didn't want to buy it. He wanted a high end one. And of course, I taught him. And two weeks later, he shows me Robin Hood he got. But, you know, <laughs> You know, he'd come in, he's like, that's I'm hanging up my office. <laughs> you know, it, it's things like that, you know, that you see how they develop. And next thing you know, they're they're developing, developing. It's like, okay, now they know they have enough experience that they're gonna know when we change to a better release. It's like, oh man, this is so much better to start up with. They're not gonna know, like you was talking about earlier, that you know, they're just slamming on triggers, and that's why I try to teach them correctly so they knew what's going on. And and you know, as your skills develop, now then the more expensive stuff makes a difference. You know, where you can feel the difference. Definitely. Well, what would you say to a new archer that's never shot a bow before, thinking about getting into archery? What would you tell them? Well, what do you what do you want to do? <laughs> <laughs> I mean there's just so many different goals in archery and um you would have to just like talk to them about what their goals were at that time so but um can you elaborate on that a little bit well i was you know that's the first question i'm going to ask was what are you wanting to do with it you know did you watch the hunger games and you want to do recurve or longbow <laughs> Yes. Um, your buddies hunt with a compound or you just want to get into archery because you like it you know it is a crossbow for you you know the first thing you know, like you alluded to that, that I asked was like, okay, what are your goals? You just want to have fun or you want to eventually want to compete? Or it's like, oh, okay, I want to shoot in the Olympics. You know, then all that changes what you're going to do. Yeah, uh, you know, what what is your goal? It, because it all depends on there. And then of course, the next question I ask is, you know, which is your dominant eye? And then we're going to check that. You know, because you want to shoot whatever you're dominant. If you're right eye dominant, once you're right handed, left eye dominant, left handed. It doesn't matter which hand you write with. And I've had people that come in and it's like, well, they're right-handed, but they're left-eye dominant. It's like, well, I can't do it. It's like, you can do it. You can learn how to do it. It's going to be much better when you're starting out. Um, I remember one time I had a couple of twins come in and one was right-handed, the other one was left-handed. The right-hander was left-eye dominant and the left-hander was right-eye dominant. So they both completely <laughs> mirrored from each other. You know, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And you know, majority of people are right-handed, but that, but I see a lot of right-handers and left-eye dominant. And, and, and that's the next thing that I want to do. And so once we've got that out of the way, you know, we know, you know, which type of bow they want to get into, you know, what's their dominant eye. So we know whether right or left-handed bow, then what would you tell them to do next? Um, would this be someone that's like, uh, just shooting in the backyard, kind of trying things out. Yeah, somebody new that that's interested in archery, like you, when you was interested in archery, 
you know, where did you go? What would you tell somebody that was in your spot when you first picked up your first bow and now you've got your bow? What would you tell them to do now? Well, um, find some find some friends or network with people in your area that shoot bows. And um, just hang out with them, learn, learn from them, um, learn about, uh, you know, the technique and um, like other things you can do. Like you can learn about things in your backyard that you had no idea existed, right? Like, um, like tournaments and then, of course, hunting. Like I've got tons of public land around me that I have completely and I've completely been oblivious to my whole life like there are people that are from out of state that will go like 10 hour from 10 hours away that will come to like an hour away from my house to go hunt public land like it's incredible um you just gotta network with these people around you and um and then that's where you can really develop your opportunities you know Yeah, just get out there and get with the other archers. You know, it, I, I found it, you know, if you're someplace shooting, you're struggling with something, you know, another archer, even if they're a top archer, you know, Olympic archer or, or a national champion, and you're struggling with something, I haven't found too many yet that won't help you. You know, yeah. if you're struggling with something, you know, if they're in the middle of shooting, you want to come up and tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, um, I have a problem here. <clears throat> Yeah, you don't want to get in someone's head like that. That that is a problem with that um, at a tournament level sometimes. But yeah, like I had someone um, the other day. Um, I was practicing, and they came into the range, and um, they were shooting. And um, like I noticed, the person shooting had um, an issue. They had a thumb button, and um, they were punching the release. And uh, I tried to explain to them the idea behind, you know, the proper technique. And, um, like I, I love, I love helping people out and, um, just helping them transition to, um, you know, higher performance. So. Yeah, I know I, I have, uh, my NFA archery instructor patch and I keep it on my 3d rig figuring if, if somebody sees that and knows that I'm an instructor, then they could, you know, so they'll come up to me and ask, but, you know, I don't go up to somebody and say, Hey, I can fix your form yeah you know you know that that just doesn't work and doesn't you know in conversation talk to them and then and then you can you know can approach them it's like hey you know i have something that might help you out if you're interested i'll you know i can share it with you and, and then get in a conversation with them and just kind of work in that way and you know being exactly. an archery instructor you know um you know i get paid to teach but that doesn't mean i'm not going to teach for free if somebody because the idea is to teach and make them better you know, if I'm doing one time here, but if we're going to meet together weekly, yeah, then I'm going to expect to get paid for it. But, um, you know, if we're, we're out there shooting together, you know, we all need coaches, you know, like, like if you and I are shooting together and it's like, okay, what do you see wrong with my form? You know, we go through in the shot process and you go, you can see something or I can watch yours. And, you know, it's just kind of, you know, helping each other out and, I know some of the top archers, if you get them when they're not actually shooting, you know, in between, you know, bring up and start a conversation with them. Just talk about archery. And next thing you know, it's like, 
they're going to start sharing information with you, you know, what they're doing and, you know, just start talking to them. And, you know, yeah. and, and that's why, you know, I get somebody start talking to me. It's like, okay, I'm going to keep talking to them. And as long as I don't have a tournament, I, you know, I, I, it's not my turn to go up there and shoot, you know, I can talk about archery all day long. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a few sports I can talk about for long periods of time, but and that's why I started the podcast. You know, I started it over a year ago. And, you know, this is, I think, podcast number 65. Awesome. So I, I've, I've been doing it for, for a while. And I started off with just, you know, providing information. You know, like the first one was, what do you need to know before you, you know, go get your first bow? And then on, and I got other information about there. And, you know, I started doing some more interviews, you know, talking about different archers and, you know, hearing their story has been, it's just amazing, you know, the, the different stories of everybody. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of fun. I could talk about archery for an hour at a time with archers from all over the world. Absolutely. Well, we're kind of right at the hour time point. Um, what, what are your parting thoughts you'd like to tell the listeners? Well, um, if you're if you're starting out just um networking just remember that um talk to the right people and you know be nice and um the release and the shot technique is more important than the bow like you could shoot a bow that like a bear from walmart that is has a really squishy draw but if you get it adjusted right and you get the technique down with your release then you're going to be better off and then you can upgrade the bow and keep your shot technique the same instead of you um you know having to spend more money for the release and then you know completely spend more time with the shot technique but yeah so and also to the viewers um just um follow me on facebook ace coleman and instagram the ace coleman I've got um, some pretty cool training materials that will be coming out in the coming weeks. And um, just to help better the sport of archery, um, whether you're a beginner, an intermediate level archer, you you want to be at a professional level, um, y'all can uh, reach out to me there. All right. I'll, I'll leave a, a link in the description, you know, how to contact to make it a little easier. Those look, you know, look in the description. So, Definitely. yeah. Always want to be able to get a hold of you. You can always get a hold of me. There's several places you can get a hold of me. You can get a hold of me on uh, the Facebook group, Arch Talk 101, uh, or you can contact me, you know, through um, Instagram uh, or, or my YouTube channel. There's all kinds of places you can get there. I'll leave a link in the description how to, you can get a hold of me. But it's uh, uh, you can message me in all kinds of different ways. So my name has been Roy Canterbury, and I've been your host today on Archer Talk with our special guest, special guest, Ace Coleman. And we'll talk to you next time.